Uh, I just want to kind of come out of the gate telling you there is nothing I have to say that's better than the lyrics of that last song, that we are no longer slaves to fear, to anxiety, to worry, to whatever it is that's got you down and got you in this place where you feel like, man, is there a way out? Uh, but you are a child of God. There's nothing better I have to say. So I don't know if you want me to like wrap up and be done. Uh, some of you, we can get to lunch early. Uh, but I was just standing back here with Leanne and I thought, man, is there any, any better message or is there any message that goes with the theme of the Bible more than that God has protected and preserved and made a way for us to be his children. And so just want to welcome you into that message today. Uh, you know, it kind of goes along with what we tell people every week, that we are a community of imperfect people. We do not have it together at any given time, any given moment, last night, sometime this last week, everybody in this room didn't get it right. And that's okay. We believe that God is authoring a story for us. And so, the, you know, kind of the second part of that is we are a community of imperfect people, but we are loved by and we serve a perfect God. And so we're journeying together. And so I just want to welcome to the journey today uh, here at Wellhouse. If you haven't been with us, that's okay as well. We are in a series called Pray Like This, and we're about halfway there. Uh, we're, we've kind of covered the first part of this prayer, and with that, we have given you a guide through Psalms, because Psalms, a lot of Psalms is a collection of poetry, but it's also a collection of prayers, and hopefully you're finding some language as you work through Psalms that has kind of been good for you, been useful for you in your personal prayer life. So week four, uh, that starts today. Uh, your, those cards are out there. Week three, we kind of blew it. We didn't get week three cards out. So if you want week three, if you want to kind of catch up and you weren't on social media, you can go outside to Next Steps and get those. But take these home with you. Just work through them. If you miss a day or you haven't started yet or you go, wow, I started, but it's been four days. Who cares? Just get started where you are today on those. And I promise you, you'll be blessed by that. You'll begin to, again, find some language, maybe some celebratory language. Man, I got some really good things going on, but how can I talk to to God in such a way, that's in the Psalms, or maybe you're in one of those really uh, valley places right now, and I promise you that also is going to be addressed in those Psalms. And so again, just, just take the journey wherever you are, and uh, we're going to finish this up in the next couple weeks, but we're going to see a shift today. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to start uh, into part four of this. Father, today will you use this moment in time to impart on us from an ancient prayer, an ancient text, something that is as fresh as the day it was said. God, would you do something timeless? Would you do something that would shape the rest of our time, not just on earth, but the rest of our time and eternity by what it is that you will say and impart to us through this, this prayer of Jesus? God, I pray that you, you use me or you get me out of the way. If there's something that would come out that is not of you, that God, uh, that those things would just fall to the ground. But the things that are from you, that God, those things would take root, that they would begin to uh, challenge us. They would begin to cause curiosities and questions that lead us to you. Father, that they deepen our relationship. They deepen our trust in you. So, Father, just be with us today, and again, do what it is that you do through your spirit, through your power, and that is you shape, you transform, you restore us. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Uh, growing up, especially in my preteen years, my favorite, and I'm talking like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, my favorite day of the week was Sunday. 
Now, it had nothing to do with church. I wasn't that spiritual as a fifth grader. I wasn't that spiritual as a college student. But I loved Sunday because Sunday meant that after church, I got to go home with a guy named Adam. And Adam and I were best friends. We had uh, uh, played together Little League and all kind of growing up together. We had just become family. And what I loved about going to Adam's house was that we would go to his grandmother's house. And some of you do this. Sunday, if I were to ask some of you, hey, you want to go to lunch today? You'd go, no, it's family stuff, right? In Adam's family, it was always family stuff. We never ate out. We'd always go to his grandmother's. I didn't have family that lived close. And when I talk about family, I didn't have like cousins. At the time, we were living in uh, this little place called Summertown, Tennessee. I don't know if you know where that's at. If you do know where that's at, I don't know why you know where that's at. But we lived in this little place called Summertown, Tennessee. The nearest relative that I had outside of my immediate family was six, seven hours away. And so I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my cousins and extended family and all all the things that kind of go with that. But Adam's family, everybody that he knew or knew him or somehow was in the family tree lived right there. And so we would go over to grandmother's house and there would be family and cousins and all of this. So his family, by default, because I would go over there week after week after week after week, became my family. And so we had this, this sense of, of community that went with Sunday afternoon, gathering large family, lots of cousins. Now, the great thing about Sunday, you're going, okay, big deal, like it's just, it's just family dinner. No. We would bring a change of clothing, mostly because my mom wouldn't let me wear what I would need to wear for the afternoon to church. That was back in the day when church clothes really mattered, right? And uh, you weren't getting to heaven unless you had a certain, you know, dress look to you. And so I would have that Sunday dress look to me, uh, which I obviously did not keep as I got grow, grew older. But anyway, I, I don't want to get lost in this. So sometimes we wouldn't even wait until we got to the house to change. We would change on the way. Because the minute the car got put into park, we would hit the grass or the gravel, wherever we could park, and we would head straight to the diamond. Or we would head straight to the gridiron, depending on what season. Now, what you need to know about Adam's family, because lots of cousins, every new season, so if it was baseball season or football season, we would host a draft Yes, we were drafting family members, and you would keep that team throughout the course of the entire season, and we would run congruently with whatever the season, if, so if it was NFL season or, or Major League Baseball season, we would run that entire season week after week. We would make trades around the dinner table. I will trade you Cousin John for, and, and it was like, hold up, like, you know, and, and there's all this tension at times that went around a trade, and, you know, I would trade you this for, you know, next week's fried chicken piece, and, you know, and it was like this, but we would keep records, and we'd award in a trophy. It was a major, major deal, but before the on-field battles would take place, there was something, looking back, there was something even greater that took place. We would gather for Sunday dinner around this massive table, and there were other tables, like there were tables set up all over the house, and we would share in grandmother's cooking. Her name was Esteline, and we would share in her cooking. And the, what I remember as I went back through my memory lane this last week especially, and even today, I can remember two things. I remember goulash. Anybody even know what goulash is? Who's had goulash? Look at you southern people. Goulash is one of those things, I think you opened up the cabinet or somebody opened up the cabinet and went, well, we got that, that, and that. Let's just put it in a tub and see what happens, right? And so we would have goulash and we would have fresh bread. And I can still smell that bread. Her bread is like no other bread I've ever tasted. 
It was just kind of a sourdough white bread, but it was so good. It would, the aroma would spread through the entire house. Now, I also need to tell you this. I don't know, looking back to, I think Miss Esteline was like a magician of some sort because this spread was enormous and it was massive, but yet she went to church. And I'm like, hold up, how did you go to church, get back home? Still, It still blows my mind to know how she did all this. But I got to asking about her bread and what made her bread so great was the skillet or the pan that it was cooked in. It was an old cast iron pan and the the yeast would rise and it would come out over the top and then she would slice this up and divvy it out and everybody would go for the bread. It was so, so good. And like I said, it was one of the best memories I have growing up. But coupled with that memory is the memory that the bread didn't always stay good. Adam and I got sent over there on like a Tuesday afternoon, I remember and uh, we were after school care, grandmother's house, and so she said, hey, boys, you want a sandwich? And we're like, ah, you know, she goes, well, I've got some bread left over from Sunday, and so we were like, yes, all in. So she made these sandwiches. We pulled up to kind of this little bar area because the whole family wasn't there. We pulled up to this little bar area, and I remember taking this sandwich that I thought was going to be the best part of my midweek, taking a bite, and there must have been a look of disappointment on my face. So she asked, she says, everything okay? And I said, are you sure this is Sunday bread? It was a little dry, a little crumbly, a little hard. And she said, yeah, it's left over from Sunday. She goes, I suppose that Sunday bread is only good for Sunday. I said, yeah, because it's not the same. And she said, well, maybe that's why Jesus prayed for daily bread. And she taught us in that moment that there is no bread as good as daily bread. And Jesus addresses this. Jesus kind of spends some time talking about this, and this is kind of the next part, and you're going to feel this shift today. He moves us from some things to some things. So in Matthew chapter 6, we find this prayer of Jesus, and the prayer, what you need to know about it, is that the prayer was given as a response to a request. His disciples come, and they said, Lord, man, we have watched you pray. We have seen you pray. There is a, there's next level to your prayer life, and so we want to learn to pray like you. So, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And so the answer to that request was this model prayer. It wasn't a magic prayer. It was just a model prayer where Jesus is going to unveil to them and to us that, hey, here are some really key components to incorporate into your prayer life. And so he addresses this, and so the first half of the prayer that we finished up with last week, what we see is that the first half of the prayer is all about God. It's about recognizing who God is, our Father, that he is a Father figure, that he is meant to be experienced at a very intimate level, and then he's also hallowed, that he is to be respected, that he's holy, his name is to be made great, that he is is this king that has a kingdom, and he has a will and a desire for each of our lives. And so the first part of this prayer is all about him. It's recognizing who he is. It's giving way to who he is. It's surrendering to who he is. And then we feel a shift this week. We're going to feel a shift where the shift focuses on us. We, we, we see all of a sudden that there are things that we need that come into play. Our request, our needs. And can I tell you, it's okay to need something. I don't want you to ever get to a place where you go, you know what, I feel really selfish for asking. I really feel like this is petty. I really feel like this is, you know, trivial. It's okay to have needs. In fact, Jesus knows that we have needs, and he knows that we have three primary needs. That's why he addresses what he does in the end of this prayer. He knows that each of us, at some point in our our time on earth, are going to need physical, 
We're going to need emotional and we're going to need spiritual. And he says, let me kind of work through those things. I'm going to address all of these and watch and feel this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here's the shift. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You feel that shift? Here's what happens. It goes from you, God, you, your kingdom, you are to be made great. You are the father to shifting to us. And Jesus knows that there are gonna be things that we need guidance on, that we're gonna need need help with, that we're going to need provision. And so he says, okay, let's address those things. And here's what he's really getting at. The heart of what he lays out in these next three verses is this. Let me show to you, let me reveal to you how to make requests, because you're going to have them. So how is it then that we make requests? And he starts off with six little words, but six words that reveal to us the how-to when it comes to asking God for things. And I love this. Jesus acknowledges the reality of our needs, but he also couples with it the reality and acknowledges the reality of who it is that's going to provide for the reality of our needs. He already points that out, and Jesus says, in short, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to filter everything through this when it comes to what you need, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Filter it through this, and this is the bottom line. If you don't get anything else out of today, take this. Jesus says, pray as if everything depends on God. Pray as if everything physically, emotionally, spiritually depends on God. That God is the provider. John Hamby says, God made us with needs so that we would have to look to him to supply them. And Jesus is saying, let's acknowledge the reality of your needs, but let's acknowledge the reality of who it is. So let's just kind of break this down for a second. Right out of the gate, he says, give. Now you need to know this is not a demand like, give me that. No, it's a request. Meaning that in saying that I need to be given something, that I'm acknowledging that there is a provider. That there's a source by which it's going to come to me. If I'm going to receive that which is giving, there has to be somebody on the other end, a giver, a provider. And Jesus has already addressed that. See, if we begin to couple these things together, he has already addressed that in our Father, whose name is great his kingdom, his will. And so he's already addressed, he says, his name, the one, he says, that's why I started the way I started. And, and, and a lot of, I heard from some of you, you know, we started that five, if you haven't been here, you'll, you'll kind of catch up and know what this means, but we started the principle of five. And it really kind of turned into something I didn't really have in mind with everybody kind of taking pictures of their hand representing the five. But that whole exercise where I said I want you to spend five sentences or five phrases before you ask God for anything, spend five sentences acknowledging who he is. God, you are creator. God, th thank you for the morning. And, 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 or God, you are you know, more than I can imagine or ask for. God, you are. So we wanted you to do five things before you got to the request. And all of that was about heightening our awareness of who and what he was going to do for us. Who it is that was going to do those kinds of things. So the word give right out of the gate, indicates a posture 
where we're going to request something. God, I need you to give. God, you are the giver. And I'm going to request something to be given that I don't have. And if you don't come through, I may not ever have. Chances are I won't have otherwise. It's a sign that says I'm about to go into this with the concept that I don't have anything other than what you give me, meaning that I'm going to give you complete and utter trust. I'm going to be completely dependent on you. See, when we pray give, see, we're asking for God's help and we're putting complete trust that he will be the ones that provide. And I love this. This is kind of a side note of this. Entrusting him to provide that which you don't have or that which you can't get. The side note to this is that we get to unload something. We get to unload or offload worry. See, and I know a lot of this requesting needs comes with a whole line of, and a whole lot of baggage of worry. He says, I'm going to ask that when I say, give me, acknowledging you are the provider, that I'm going to free myself of the worry that goes with getting. Guys, how often do we look at a situation in our lives, maybe it's something physical, maybe it's something emotional, maybe it's something spiritual. Maybe it's, it's uh, well, the way a job's going. Maybe it's the fact that you're not having enough at the end of the month to seemingly make ends meet. Maybe there's a relationship that has really gone haywire. And you look at whatever situation you fill in your own blank and you end or you get to this place where you say something like this, how in the world am I going to get through this? And then what happens? Worry sets in. And we begin to go and what grab, trying to get whatever we can to make sure that whatever need we have, that we are somehow piecing this together and we're doing whatever it takes. We're pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? And Jesus says, can we just put the pause on that? Can we acknowledge who it is that's going to give? And in doing so, can you just pause on getting? Can you just acknowledge? Can you put some trust there? And what will happen, and I'm not going to tell you that, that your worry and anxiety is not going to go away. I'm not going to tell you it's not real. I'm not going to tell you that, that it's just going to magically disappear. But over time, what will begin to happen is that not only will God provide, you will acknowledge that he provided. You will remember that he provided. And so the next time you get to this situation, there'll be less worry than there was the time before. And that's how this begins to work and set in. Because the, the point is this, that there are going to be things that come our way that is completely out of our control. And when that worry sets in, I believe that's where Satan does his best work on us. You know that God's not got you on this. You know that God's not going to come through. You know, and, and, and Satan begins to get in there, and he says, if I can keep them focused on the worry that goes with them getting something on their own, then I will distract them from the point and the truth that is that God, everything's impossible. Nothing's impossible. So God is the giver, this unfailing provider. Let's continue. He says, give us today our daily bread. Period. That's the end of the sentence. Now, for those who are listening at this time, they would have immediately been taken back to a place. In Exodus chapter 16, this concept of daily bread really shows up. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but the, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel has been freed from slavery. They find themselves in the desert and there's no food in the desert. And so they begin to pray, ask God. God provides what is called manna daily. And so every morning they'd come out of their tent and guess what was all over the ground? Daily bread. It was everywhere. But the key about daily bread is that if you tried to hoard it and store it up, guess what would happen? So Monday morning, I walk out and I gather in. I'm going, you know what? I'm going to need a little extra, so I scoop in extra. You know what would happen by Tuesday? 
It would rot. The only time that didn't happen was on the weekends during Sabbath. And so the point was this, is that it would rot overnight because God wanted to and was building toward them trusting and being dependent on him daily. And so months would go by, and every morning they'd go out and go, whew, he did it again. Now you imagine the scene, right? Every morning come out of the tent. I would imagine at some point their worry about bread not being on the ground went away. Why? Because they had built a trust. They had built that God was this daily provider, and he would provide the moment that that they needed it, and he would provide exactly what they need. Now, let's just look inward for a second. Guys, this is really difficult for us, isn't it? We don't always connect our needs, especially food, right? We don't connect that with our faith very often. And I think part of the reason that this doesn't resonate completely around us. So when we read, give us our daily bread, we kind of brush that off because we already know where we're going to eat for lunch and exactly what we're going to order. We know what it costs and we've got the money in our wallet to pay for it, right? Let's face it, we don't always kind of dive into this because we live in one big giant buffet. But to these people, what they would have understood was that this is a reset. This is a step toward trusting that which, it may not be about bread, but there's going to come something along the way that, guess what, I can't do. So as a result, here's what we do in the culture that we live in. We spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves that we don't have needs. Think about it. If I were to walk up to most of us today, or you were to walk up to me and go, hey, what do you need? Go, yeah, I don't really have any needs. I'm good. Got the house, you know, got got money in the bank to pay this month's note. Got a car that runs, got gas in it. I'm going to a nice dinner tonight. I mean, what what are you talking about? So we we spend a lot of time convincing ourselves that we don't have needs. And then what happens is that we quickly convince ourselves that we are actually self-sustaining creatures. We, we have something that takes over us. There's a belief that, t- that, that comes with, you know what, I, 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 I've done this to this point on my own. I'll continue to do it on my own. You know what, I've got this. You know, I've got everything. I'm climbing the ladder. I've got everything. And so we convince ourselves that we are self-sustaining creatures until we get short of breath. I remember getting a call several years ago from a, a wife. and She told me, she says, I'm going to tell you his name. She said, we've had to take him to the hospital. He was short of breath. So I rush over. And sure enough, I get there. He's hooked up. I said, what's going on? They said, well, he's had a massive heart attack. Now, this is a guy that needed for nothing. Millions of dollars stored away. Plenty of family. Had everything that he could want. Could travel the world in a minute. And I remember him looking at me and saying, I thought... I was in control until today, until I was short of breath. And then he said, suddenly, I was reminded of who it is that gives me breath. See, Luke said in Acts, he reminds us of this, right? He says, he, talking about God, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Then he goes on just a couple verses later, and he says, for in him we live and we move, and we have our being. See, in these moments, it may not be about bread. And it may not be about money in the bank to pay the house. And it may not be about a car that's dependable. But there are going to be moments in our lives where we will be reminded that we need something. 
And in these moments, what if we begin to build habits and we create rhythms and cultures where we are already in a rhythm of acknowledging and fully aware of who it is that gives us? What if it opens our eyes in the small things that we begin to build something within our DNA and our relationship with God where our eyes begin opening before we fall short of, short of breath that, God, you overdid yourself today. Man, you came through, and I'm so grateful. And I needed, and you provided, and all of these kinds of things. So the question I want to shift us to is this. It becomes not whether we need God, but how aware are we of our need for God? See, in this, this cultural shift that's taken place where we have convinced ourselves that we are self-sustaining creatures, we get in this place where we go, well, I mean, God's good. I really appreciate that forgiveness thing. Really looking forward to heaven. But I'm good right now, God. So it's this shift of going, I, I'm not sure I need you at the moment, to fully realizing an awareness of I do need. So there's a couple things that I believe that our daily bread prayers kind of does. First, I think it frees us from living like everything depends on us. And guys, let's be honest, that in and of itself is freeing. Knowing that, you know what, not everything depends on me. Because I know that there's some of us that carry this massive weight that everything in life depends on me. And if I don't do this, and if I don't come through, and again, I'm not, I'm not freeing anybody from responsibility. What I'm saying, though, is what if we begin to get to this place where we realize that God is the one that's allowing this, this, and this, that's making this, this, and this possible. There's a, there's a relief that goes with that. And instead, I begin to create these rhythms and I create these habits that even in the small stuff, you know, the thing about bread is bread's a small thing. I think that's why he chooses that. He chooses this small thing that's going to end up representing something much larger. But bread in and of itself is a staple of life. Now, to us, it's a side note. It's an appetizer. It's something that's going to be thrown on the table in the middle, and we might eat it, we might not, depending on our diet. But to these people, it was survival. And what seems like a small thing, Jesus is saying there are no small things. There are no little things. Even in basic needs, there's still a posture of dependence. And this part of the prayer is, is a reminder that even in the simple, small, trivial things, God is there, God is good, and God will be the one to provide these things. That nothing is too small. I don't want us to get trapped into this place that, that, that we, we have this subconscious belief that we can only pray to God about the big things. Grandmother has cancer or, you know, I've got a big trip going overseas, you know, the big things. No, God says, listen, what if you prayed like everything depended on me? And yeah, you may have the money to buy dinner, this, but what if you prayed in a way that you didn't? What if you acknowledged and you're fully aware that even though I've got some savings, that it's still you, God, who has ultimately provided those things? What if we, we stopped assuming things that when we walk into a meeting that our minds and our brains would automatically work that would allow us to formulate the wisdom and discernment to make a decision for our company? What if we stood outside the door and go, God, even though I've got a great presentation to give the company, I know that it's you who's going to fire certain things in my mind that's going to connect them to my mouth. And so, God, I'm not assuming anything about this meeting. So give me wisdom. Give me words. What if in our relationships, what if in our parenting, we begin to, God, I acknowledge you, the giver of patience, and I need some of that today. So God, can you give me, or God, I, 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 I need you in the midst of my marriage. Even though my marriage is good right now, I know that you're the one who's made it good. So can I, we, we, we take assumption off the table. 
and all of these things. God, can you just give me courage? Courage, I need to step into something that I believe you've been nudging me to. God, I don't want to assume anything. I don't want to assume that on my own power I can take the step. Even though I might take the step, I might not take this. God, and we begin to strip away all that and say, God, you are the giver, the provider. And we realize that we can't provide anything in and of ourselves. Only you can. I think when we begin to get to this place, we're going to find a level of satisfaction with life and our stuff and emotionally, spiritually, that can't be surpassed. I don't think it can be matched. Worry will begin to fade. I think that's why Jesus, just a few verses later, as he works people through a sermon on a hillside, In verses 25, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but he says, let me address the worry and the anxiety that comes with consumerism and the preoccupation that comes with money and stuff. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And he gives us examples. I mean, does God not take care of the birds of the air? I mean, there's billions of them. I mean, does he not clothe the flowers? He says, Stop worrying about this stuff. There's more to life. And guys, this is where we get into trouble. Because what happens is we begin to make daily bread. Stay with me for just another second. We make daily bread, whatever that represents for you. We make it the source of security and happiness. And Jesus knew that. And he said, I know there's going to come a time where you've convinced yourself you are actually a self-sustaining creature. And then therefore the accumulation, the preoccupation that goes with consumerism of having stuff will be your source of security. It will become your source of happiness. God, I'm doing okay, but man, if I had a six-figure job, if, I, if my daily bread was six figures and we can go down the list, right? Or if I had the perfect relationship, God, I'd really feel good about what you're giving me. And what happens is we begin to shift and daily bread, the getting of daily bread, becomes the idol we pursue. And so that's why Jesus says, listen, when you say give, what you're saying is that there is a giver, that there is a provider, that there is a sustainer, and it's not me. And even in the small things and the trivial things, it's about creating a habit that says, God, you're the source of everything. In my life, regardless of how little or how much of it I might have at the moment, and God, you have created me to have needs. So help me fully, totally rely on you to meet those needs. And by the way, thank you for faithfully, daily, doing it. And I believe that this will do wonders for us. We will live in a new joy, a complete joy. Not that there won't be rough moments and bad patches where happiness isn't at a premium, but there'll be a joy in knowing that God's got this. We're going to live and we're going to practice thankfulness. Our worries will begin to maybe not completely go away because that's just, again, part of life, but they'll begin to melt away when we consciously and regularly trust God in the small things, and the big things, and the needs, 
And we'll do it again tomorrow for tomorrow's needs. Give us today our daily bread. You guys stand with me as we land this morning. You know, as great as our need for daily bread or whatever your daily bread represents today, as great as that need is, it's not our greatest need. Again, I think that's another deception that Satan gives us. He gets us to this place where we think that whatever we need over here physically, that that is the all-consuming greatest need, and he monopolizes our time, our hearts, our minds with that. And what he does is he shifts us from realizing that, you know, even as great a need that is, it's not my greatest need. Jesus knows there is something that we need greater than our daily needs even being met. It's an awakening to who he is and our need for him. It's his power. It's his presence, his majesty, his will, his kingdom, his forgiveness, his love, his redemption. It's him. I think that's why Jesus referred to himself, and he connects this in John chapter 6. He he actually calls himself bread. Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Now, this is already after him saying that, ask for daily bread. He says, whoever comes to me, I love this, will never go hungry. Oh, you may experience some physical hunger pains on earth, depending. But he says, there'll be something deep inside of you. There'll be something that's deeply satisfied. He says, you'll never go hungry, and whoever believes will never be thirsty. He connects our ultimate need to what we would understand and what we can identify with being a daily need. And so for you today, maybe your greatest need is just that. You may have this place where you're in life going, listen, I don't really have a lot of needs. You know, I got a good job. I got all those things. Maybe for you today, it's experiencing life that comes through Jesus. Surrendering to him. Maybe there's still something inside of you that's nagging. And you go, you know, as I think about it, I've kind of gone through the buffet of life, picking all kinds of things, trying to get this satisfaction that never seems to come. I feel my plate up at the buffet with the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of job, relationship after relationship. And I keep getting back to this place. Guys, ask, give Jesus a try. Just see what happens when you begin to surrender your life to him. Maybe your next step this week is, again, just unclenching some things, letting go of some things. God, I, I can't control this anyway. And so I, I'm, I'm emotionally, I'm going to be fully aware in this moment. God, I'm just going to unclench Even if it's something small, just let go and let God take control. Maybe for you it's baptism. Maybe for you it's seeking forgiveness. Maybe for you it's saying, I need to experience the the forgiving side of God. I've got a lot of baggage that comes with some things I've done. and, And man, I just don't know if God has any use for somebody like me. And maybe experiencing that, this loving Father, regaining trust and confidence. I just want you to know, we'll pray for you in that process. Maybe for you, it's connecting to community. It's, it's feeling valued and loved, noticed in the context of community. And that's what Wellhouse is about. You know, we didn't seek to plant another church in Nashville because we thought Nashville needed another church. We tried to strip away some things and make it really about God and about people and connecting people to those things. But I pray whatever your next step is, that this next week is full of first steps and next steps. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us today our daily bread.
Forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil.